God, we thank you for your word. It's alive and active. Uh, it speaks right to our hearts. God, we thank you for your amazing love that has flooded our lives. Tonight we come eager to hear what you have to say to us because you know you just have the very best in store for us. You want good things for our lives. And even though the things that you call us to do might not seem to be glamorous in the world's eyes, sometimes they're painful things. But we know that following you is the best thing to do. So we open our hearts tonight. God, speak through me, uh, your servant, and would you uh, use your word to change lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we're looking at taming the tongue. And um, we're going to be talking about the tongue and uh, some of the ways in which we can try and help keep it under control. The tongue can get us into a lot of trouble. Um, I think that's probably why God sort of put our head around the tongue and sort of put teeth in to sort of cage it in so it doesn't get out too often, you know. Um, often our tongue can waggle and get us into sometimes funny, sometimes um, embarrassing, sometimes painful, sometimes wonderful situations. I can remember uh, when I was looking uh, for a, my first sort of appointment as a pastor away from my home church and I had to go and preach at uh, Kew Baptist Church and I was very young and uh, just preached the first message and I stood on the door next to the secretary of the church and uh, she was uh, someone who was very you know, educated and they were shaking hands and, and uh, she was next to me and someone came and they said, oh, thank you so much for coming. We've really appreciated you coming. And I said, I've really appreciated having me too. <laughs> <laughs> and Mandy started giggling and we just said, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. And I didn't get the job, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Sometimes our tongue can get us into all kinds of funny situations. You know, lawyers, even lawyers who are supposed to be great on their feet and really good with their words can get themselves in funny situations. These are things that have actually been said to have been said in a court to people who are on the stand by lawyers. Uh, these are questions that have been asked. Uh, one lawyer said, was that the same nose you broke as a child? <laughs> and another lawyer said, uh, now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, in most cases he just passes quietly away and doesn't know anything about it until the next morning. <laughs> uh, one questioned, you know, what happened then? And the answer came, well, he told me, he says, I have to kill you because you can identify me. The lawyer said, well, did he kill you? <laughs> uh, another lawyer asked the question, was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? <laughs> um, another, another lawyer said, were you alone? or by yourself. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, one lawyer said, uh, I'll show you Exhibit 3 and ask if you recognise that picture. And the answer came, well, that's me. And the lawyer said, were you present at the time that preacher was taken? <laughs> so even those that are supposed to be good with their tongues can sometimes get them tongue-tied. But we, we know 
the dangers that our tongues can cause. Sometimes things are funny, but sometimes the damage that comes from our tongues can hurt others. Um, as we've seen, as, as often can happen, and you may know in your life, sometimes we can hurt people by saying things that we don't actually mean to say that hurt others. Uh, sometimes that's forgivable. We didn't mean it to come out like that. But sometimes we actually purposely hurt other people with our words. Uh, someone said that we should remember that the tongue is a wet place and can easily, we can easily slip there using it. God certainly knew uh, what he was doing when he gave us strong warnings through James's uh, letter about how we should use our tongue and how we should control it. The Bible actually refers right through in many times to the tongue and it, and it says that it's refers to the tongue as a wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blasphemous tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, and a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a complaining tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue, an exaggerating tongue. It should be just apparent from all these references in the scripture that the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue. It's an incredibly important, important part of our human body. So the first thing tonight that we look at is our tongue is something that whilst is so small can actually, uh, is very powerful. Don't know if we've got the actual... Uh, thing in there, is that working? Someone might look at that. I'm not getting any, uh, any response there. That's okay. Um, you have your Bibles with me anyway, and so all I was going to do was show on the screen the first verse, which says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, uh, the tongue is obviously the, teach, uh, the chief tool of teachers. If you're a teacher, if you speak to people, if you handle God's word, if you're a preacher or you, you often speak in front of people, one of the main things that you use, just like I'm using now, is the tongue. And you use that to share and to speak to people uh, using God's word. You know, in James's time, many people wanted to become teachers because there was a lot of honour in being a teacher. You were a leader in the Christian community if you were a teacher or a preacher. And often there'd be people that were sometimes just so eager to be accepted into the community and people that would be elevated to the top that they would just try and come in early in their faith and become teachers and preachers and people that would want to quickly rise to those positions. And here James is, is saying a clear warning. Not many should presume to be teachers because... You know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's a frightening verse for anyone who desires to preach and teach. It sort of makes potential preachers and teachers examine their motives carefully before they place themselves in the place where they are going to teach 
It's interesting, James doesn't actually say why that is. But we can assume why they'll be judged more strictly. It's because if you say things that are false and you mislead people, we could assume it can cause a whole group of people to believe the wrong things, to act in the wrong ways. And many, many people can be affected by the error of a teacher, by the wrong words of a teacher. Um, there have been many teachers in God's church who have destroyed the church. Some have uh, lived uh, lives where their motives were not examined and wanted to become pastors or, or teachers for their own uh, desires, for their own goals, for their own reasons and came and became leaders and teachers of churches which often people sense the different motives and has caused great division. Many churches have been split and divided through people that have come not with God's calling. So James's advice and warnings are strong in the midst of churches that have teachers with impure motives, in the midst of teachers that come from churches that have distorted the truth. Many churches now debate endlessly over what texts say in the Bible and what is a sinful practice and what is not. Many um, have turned away from looking at what the Bible says and teaching and preaching from it. The warning is strong because the implications can be huge. I remember when I was um, at AMP when I was younger and I was working full-time at AMP and I remember reading different books on the lives of Christian leaders and I remember thinking, wow, uh, you know, what a privilege it would be to be a pastor or a teacher. And as I continued to read and investigate, I sensed uh, more and more God saying, this is where I want you to go. But as soon as I felt that, I kind of knew that it couldn't be something that I just desired. No, I had to have clearly God speaking. I remember going away for a weekend and, and, and just seeking God's will, but he never said a thing to me. And I remember coming back and just coming back into my normal work and saying, God, well, I've spent a whole weekend away seeking your will and you haven't said anything. And then one by one, people sent little notes to me, or little messages saying, have you ever thought about being a, a, a preacher or going to Bible college? Just little times I'd get up and say a small thing, someone responded. And so now I had four notes, a weekend away, a reading of different uh, books. And it wasn't until... Um, a little old lady came after a preacher had looked out and said, is God calling you to Bible college and pushed point right at, right at me? After one service, a little lady came and she said, I feel God is telling me to tell you to go to Bible college. So for me, it was almost then disobedient to follow. And I think today that the call of Christian preachers and teachers is so crucial. Is God calling you? then respond wholeheartedly to his call. But please don't volunteer because it looks like an attractive job. Uh, the warnings to be careful because you'll be judged more strictly. It's why people who preach and teach God's word come to it with fear and trembling and ask for God's strength and wisdom. Would you keep praying for our preachers and teachers each week? Would you keep praying that they would handle God's word well? 
That's how James begins this passage. And he, he actually goes on then to, to say that um, not many of you should, should presume this, but then he goes on to sort of move off the teachers and talks more generally to all of us. And he shows in these next verses that uh, the tongue is actually a key to holy living. If you want to learn how to live in a holy way, then, then learn how to control your tongue. In verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is, is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man. He's able to keep his whole body in check. As a teacher, we must be careful with what we say, but uh, we should always try to live in a way that is perfect. Now, what does it mean to be perfect? Does it mean without sin? No, we know that because the Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we strive though to be all that God has called us to be with our gifts, with our calling, with our passion so that we can be people that are perfect to the best of our ability. We all stumble in many ways so we won't ever be fully perfect. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. So the call for us is to seek to keep our whole body in check. And the way to do that is by controlling our tongue. James is pointing to us to control our tongue in the way that we live because that leads to mastering or controlling our lives, ourselves. Then he goes on and he gives us two examples of the power that the tongue has. He, he, he says um, in these verses that like a bit in the mouth of a horse, we can get this wild beast that often in James's times were one of the most powerful beasts around who were taken into battle and were an army that had lots of horses, had a great military ad- advantage. And, and, and James says this beast that is wild, a horse, can be tamed just by putting a bridle in its mouth, a bit in its mouth, and actually steering the horse, we can make it obey us. We can turn the whole animal around. So the tongue has the power to control our lives. If we use it well, we can control our, it can control our lives. Then he uses another example. He says, take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. You have a large boat and a small rudder. But if you've ever tried to sail, you know how hard it is to just keep steering straight because the rudder, if you haven't got it right, you go in all directions. And a good sailor knows the power of that little rudder just to turn you around all the time. Catch the wind and you can go in any uh, way you want. The rudder is so small and yet it steers this big ship. In proportion to the ship, the rudder is small. But it has so much power beyond its size. It can steer a whole ship. The tongue is small. Uh, Just a small part of our body but it can also have a great exaggeration for its size in our whole body. Um, 
both steer us, the bridle and the rudder, to something much larger. And our tongues also direct our lives. They control the direction in which we're travelling. And so in a very real way, they control our lives. That's the power of the tongue. Our words have an incredible impact. So whoever said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me, really didn't know what they were talking about. It can really hurt, can't they, the words that we use. Words can have a powerful effect, uh, an impact on others. You know, Karen Carpenter, she died unexpectedly of heart failure at 32 years old and it was brought on by years and years of self-abuse. She had an eating disorder called anorexia nervosa. Um, Later CBS released a program called The Karen Carpenter Story and um, what, what happened on, as, they, as the story came out, uh, USA Today commented that on, the release, uh, that on that release they asked, but what brought on Karen Carpenter's faith, fatal obsession with weight control? What was it that caused her to lose so much weight? Um, it, it seems that the reviewer once called uh, one interviewer when she was interviewing Karen, they were interviewing Karen Carpenter, called her Richard's chubby sister. And these words, it seems that she heard. It may have been that they were the very words that led her to have this disorder, which ended up um, leading to her unhealth and to her death. You know, some people can tell you the comments that teachers have made, or a friend or a significant individual that has actually changed the course of their life. I know there's been two times when I have had the tongue affect me in a negative way and in a positive way. I remember when I was in year nine and I was walking from one classroom to the other and my year level coordinator met me right in the middle of the school grounds and said, Jonathan, you're failing every subject. Only a miracle, not even a miracle from God will save you. And I remember hearing these words, I'm failing, I'm failing. And for the rest of my life, I've had to undo the failing thing. You know, uh, whenever I did an essay, I'd have to think, uh, it doesn't matter if I get an A or a B or a C, I'm still all right. I can still picture Miss Carlson saying, you're failing. But then I remember I did go on and pass some of those subjects and, and change schools and started again and tried to reverse those words. And I'll never forget sitting down in a psychologist's uh, office with my mum and dad. And a psychologist can sort of take you through all your gifts and all the kind of things that you like to do and what jobs might suit you. And we did all these things. And I remember the psychologist sitting and looking at my mum and me and dad and saying, you know, Jonathan, you've got quite a, a good brain. I remember hearing that and thinking, really? Is that true? I remember thinking, wow, isn't that incredible? Do you know the words that you speak can have power? Uh, The words that you speak can bring uh, great good or great bad to people. I um, have just loved spending time with my daughters and we alternate. I've got a daughter called Alex who's seven years old and my other daughter, Georgia, and and she's four. And every Friday morning, 
before the day, I sort of take one of them to, to McDonald's for brekkie. I just love those opportunities to sit down. The four-year-old just doesn't really know what's going on, but she's sort of just playing around and having fun. But I always try and take the opportunity just to say, you know, Georgia, I think you're doing really well in this area. You know, I think you're a great kid in this area. Or I say to Alex, you know, I, I just love who you are. You know, because I think if one thing I want them to remember is that their dad spoke words of encouragement into them and that their dad thought they were great. I wonder about you. Are you using your tongue to control the direction of your life and the life of others? Because the tongue can be so powerful. You know, we still remember the words of Martin Luther King who said, I have a dream. And yet the words of executioners are often the last thing that people hear when they put people to death. The orders, words can lead to death as well. So that's why James says it's so important to, to get about seeking to tame the tongue. Another thing about the tongue is that it actually has the huge power, not only for good when it's controlled, but for evil when it's set loose. Uh, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. What a terrible picture of the tongue. James tells us the tongue is like a fire that just consumes everything in its path, just as, as great forests are destroyed by a careless uh, toss of a match or uh, a cigarette butt. So our tongues can destroy our lives as well and the lives of others. What a vivid picture. James tells us that the tongue is a, a world of evil. He tells us that it is a corrupting force. He says that it is itself set on fire by hell. These are strong statements. But James is trying to make an important point. Never, ever underestimate the power of the tongue to hurt people. You can destroy what you have yourself. You can destroy who you are. In uh, verse 8, It also, it, it says there that the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Beware of the power of the tongue. Never underestimate it. Do you know one of the sad things is that so many churches uh, face so many times of pain and sadness when the tongue is allowed to set fire, uh, when the tongue is unleashed for this destruction. Uh, gossip is something that so many churches suffer greatly from. Um, what, what happens in a gossip situation is, you know, something happens where I might think Phil's doing something that I don't agree with and I don't like it. And instead of talking to Phil, I go and talk to Ellen about it because I'm mad. I don't have the courage to talk to Phil. It's much easier to just let it all go on to Ellen and let her know how I'm feeling about Phil. 
And before long, Alan has told others and the fire spreads. You know, sometimes the most silly thing about it all is that I just misunderstood Phil. If only I'd gone to him and talked to him about what I'd understood and how it had hurt me and how his actions had done that, we could save the whole fire burning. But some people would prefer to talk to others than talk directly to the person. You know what gossip is? Just a simple definition. If you're not part of the problem, if you're not part of the solution, but you're talking about the problem, you're gossiping. So what do you do? Go straight to the person who it's about. Just talk straight to them. This is Matthew 18, 15. Maybe just for a moment we'll flip across there and have a look at the pattern that God gives us because it's right um, part of what it means to use the tongue in a godly way. Matthew 18, 15 just says these, these simple words. If a brother or sister sins against you, go and show him his fault. You see, it doesn't say if a brother or sister sins against you, go and talk to Ellen about it, you know, or talk to someone else. It says go to him and show him his fault just between the two of you. See, that's a sure way to cut off gossip in a church, in a family. Go to the person. How should you go? Well, go just the two of you. Go just to seek to show him his fault. Uh, some translations says, say, if your brother sins against you, go to show him his fault, seeking to, to reconcile, show in a way that's seeking to um, appease, showing um, him his fault in a way that might help him win him over. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. If you come and you say, Phil, this hurt me and this is, a, uh, this is how I felt at the time, or Phil, you, you know, you were preaching the wrong stuff here and that's wrong uh, and we talk about it and we discuss it and we can work it out, then we've, I've won him over and, and it's great. He's heard my crying. We don't have to talk to Ellen. But if he will not listen, then take one or two others along so that the matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You know, if you go to someone and it doesn't work out and it doesn't go well and if you're really seriously trying to reconcile, then we just want to say, come and talk to any Gail, Phil, myself or any of the deacons that you know and just talk um, directly. If you try to talk directly to the person, we just want to help that because we hate gossip in the church. The reason we hate it because God hates it. So every time someone comes to talk to you about an issue, think, am I part of the problem? Am I part of the solution? If I'm not, just gently say, I think you're talking to the wrong person. Maybe don't talk to me because I'd be gossiping if I listened to that. And then if it is something about someone else, then, and, and you're really upset about it, we'll go and, even if you're not upset about it, but, just, but it's an untruth or something that's hurtful, go and speak directly to the person. It takes courage. But boy, it quenches the fire that the tongue can do that destroys. Now, 
it, it goes on further and, and we're, we're never really to let it, the, the tongue loose. We're to never try and let it go brazenly and untamed out. You mustn't underestimate the power of the tongue. Uh, something with this must, much destruction must be carefully watched and carefully um, guarded, consistently controlled. So if we let our tongues run wild in our lives, then we'll find that it will constantly be hurting people. I remember one day I was out in the, uh, playing cricket out in the backyard at a friend's place and the ball went over the fence. And I remember just jumping off and running over the, jumping over the fence. And I, I think my friend sort of just gave a wry little smile. And I got halfway towards the tennis ball and I heard the growls begin. And I realised that there was a big dog in that yard and it was coming straight for me. I remember scabbering back and getting over the fence. And, uh, you know, the tongue is wild. And we need to keep our eye on it and not take our eyes off the tongue. Listen to how you speak. Try and um, guard it at all times. Because if we don't guard our tongue, it's going to run wild. We must be on constant watch. Proverbs 21 23 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue, keep himself from calamity. James reminds us that we're to treat the tongue like a wild animal. It says here in this verse that no man can tame the tongue. All kinds of birds, animals, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed. And have been tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. So the whole message of the point of the message is taming the tongue. And if you can't tame the tongue, well, what's the point of the message? Well, look at what it says here in that no man can tame the tongue. God constantly causes us to cry out to him for the strength and the power to tame the tongue. Cry out to God for help because only he is going to give you the strength to do that. Ask God to guard what you say. David prayed in Psalm 141 and verse 3. He said, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Pray that God will give you the power to control your tongue. Another thing is to always listen to what the tongue says. Always be aware of what you're saying. This is an important thing. Um, in, in taming the tongue. Uh, look at what he says in uh, verses 9 um, through to 12. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can, salt, can a salt spring produce fresh water. What is James saying here? What conclusions has he drawn con concerning what the tongue is actually saying to us? It's clear that James is telling us that the tongue is saying something very important about who we are because it actually reveals our heart. 
the tongue reveals our heart. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus taught um, in his words in Matthew 12, 34. He said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the condition of our heart determines the content of our words. If you're always angry and speaking words of anger, examine your heart before God. If you're always criticising or tearing people down, it points to what's going on in your heart. If you're unforgiving and gossiping and slandering, then you need a heart check before God. James here says, hey, doesn't it bother you that uh, you can be praising God, the living God? You can say, oh, God, how great you are. What a fabulous God you are. I love you. I love you. And then get home and say, mum, you make me sick. You know, or, or who do you think you are to people that we love? You know, it's like we think, oh, it's okay to praise God, but to speak kindly to people that are made in the image of God. And James is saying, be very careful when you listen to your tongue because out of the same uh, heart, same mouth, it can come praising and cursing. And this should not be. Maybe you could cry out to God with the cry of David who says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Make a right spirit within me. Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Maybe you could say, O God, fill me with clean thoughts and right desires. It's because when our hearts are right before God, our tongues will more consistently speak those things that encourage and build up and help bring encouragement and a hope to the people around us. What about you tonight? Are you someone who builds up or tears down? People love being around you because they feel blessed. Do people like being with you because of the nice things that you take time to say to people? Are you known as an empowerer, someone who speaks good words? Well, if you're not, come to God afresh tonight and say, God, create in me a clean heart. Help me have a heart that flows out with words of encouragement and kindness. Because the sooner that you don't yield yourself to God, you'll keep causing damaging fires all through. May God help you to tame your tongue. Let's pray. God, tonight, I want to thank you for your word. We want to come before you and say, oh God, would you give us the power that only you can give us to be those who speak goodness and kindness and love to other people around us. God, we yield our hearts to you afresh tonight. God, would you create in us the clean heart so that people will be drawn to us because you live in us. 
May we be those that build up, not tear down. Help us to guard our mouths. God, we pray that as a church we would be vigilant against gossip, that we'd be always speaking the truth to each other in love. God, that we would not be talking about others, but we would be talking to the people in love. Oh God, by your power we pray. Help us to tame the tongue. In Jesus' name, amen. James, and uh, if you want to get your Bibles out, do that. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. James 3, 1 to 12. Taming the tongue. Not many of you should presume to be to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Actually, let's just go on to the next verse. That's a bit rough, isn't it? We all stumble in many ways. Um, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea, are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Is that the end of it there, Jonathan? That's it. Great. Um, I'm going to hand over, I believe.